Welcome to Grace to All. I'm your host, Paul Gray. You've probably used the word grace, sang Amazing Grace, or said grace at a meal. But did you know that God's grace is way better than we can even imagine, and that you and all people already have an abundant supply of God's unlimited amazing grace? Today, we're going to hear the truth about God's amazing grace to all people. So, sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired and awakened to the amazing treasures that you already possess. This is truth that you can handle. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Grace to All with Paul Gray. Many times when I'm traveling, like on an airplane or somewhere new, and I'll meet somebody new and we strike up a conversation, inevitably uh, the question comes to me, well, are you retired or what do you do? And I said, no, no, I'm not retired. Uh, I'm a teacher. And they always ask, well, what do you teach? And I reply, I teach people how much God loves them. And the conversation goes from there. Usually, it's a great opportunity to share with people how much, in fact, God does love them, because most people have no concept of that. I sure didn't for oh, 20 years after I was a pastor. <laughs> so today, I want to talk to you about teaching, and I want to talk to you about the fact that all of you who are getting the revelation of unconditional love for everyone and grace for everyone, all of you have the ability to, and I believe are called for just such a time as this, to be teachers. Teachers without a degree, teachers without getting a license to teach. Well, we'll get into it as we go. And as we go, I want to make totally clear to you where I'm coming from in my teaching. My goal is always to help you see everything what you read in the Bible, what you hear from me, what you hear from other teachers, I want to help you see everything through the lens of perfect love, and then to hear from God yourself, expecting to hear perfect love. Of course, I share with you all what Papa love, Jesus love, and Holy Spirit love are showing me, but that's never to convince you of what I believe. It's always to help you see through the lens of perfect love and hear from God yourself and to be able to identify anything that's counterfeit. Today, we're going to talk about revelation from God about teaching, teaching that can have an amazing impact on literally everybody in your world. Last time we visited, I gave you a parable. Remember, a parable is a story that conveys truth. It may or may not have actually happened the way it's told, but it conveys truth that is true truth. And we talked about the parable of the PCS love family, Papa, Christ, and Spirit love family, how everybody who's ever lived existed before creation as spirit beings, immersed in and connected by and with love. Everybody all came to earth at their own particular time, came to the world, and what seems to have happened to everybody is we've all lost our memory. We forgot who God is, who everybody else is, who all people are, who we are. And then we play out our part in his story, history. While people are in the world, the PCS love family continually helps us remember who we always have been, love. 
And that process is called the restoration of all things by grace, grace to all. Then when people are here on the earth for however long we're here, when our earthly body dies, they go back in this parable, they go back to eternity where they came from and then remember who they've always been. They know as they have always been known. I didn't make that parable up. It comes from Scripture. It comes from the first three chapters of Ephesians and Colossians and many other places as well. I want to start out with this verse today, 2 Corinthians 6.1, which I mentioned last time. Paul writes, as God's partners or God's companions, we beg you not to take God's marvelous grace for granted, allowing it to have no effect on your lives. And we're going to talk some more today about how it absolutely does have a positive effect on our life and on the lives of our family and friends and everybody else we're with. We learned last week that the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians give us the same revelation that Jesus gave to the Apostle Paul. Five years after Jesus was crucified, died, and went back to heaven, he came back and specifically mentored this guy named Saul, changed his name to Paul, and he revealed to him things that no other human being had ever known except for the first human beings who quickly forgot what they knew. And then Paul writes about those revelations in the books two-thirds of the New Testament that he wrote. The revelation that Jesus gave the Apostle Paul, the truth about who God really is, who we all are, who we've always been, and who everybody else is, and that truth about us and God is all good. So, we're going to go on a little bit in the fourth chapter of Ephesians today, which is starting to help us understand out of who we are and who God is and who everybody else is, how then do we live? Not what should we do, not things we have to do to please God or stuff like that, but how can we live then to play our part in his story? It's like we're participants in a play, in a story. It's like when we're here on earth We're all on stage, this vast stage that is the earth, the world. Here's what Paul wrote to one of his understudies, a guy by the name of Titus, who was the overseer of several churches on the island of Crete. Titus 2.12, he says, The day and age we live in, and that's equally true for the day and age we live in today, he says the day and age that we live in sets the stage for displaying the attraction of an awe-inspired life. Our minds are rescued in the revelation of our right standing with God. He says, we are in the school of grace, grace to all, instructed how to thoroughly reverse the apathy and indifference that erupts in a wave of lust that would seek to dictate the day. And the author of this translation, the mirror translation, Francois Dutoit, goes on to say in his footnotes, the revelation of our right standing with God shows how completely God redeemed all mankind in Christ and empowers us to cultivate an innocence consciousness instead of a sin consciousness. All right. Our character, our part in the story, his story, one of the main things that our character can do, and I believe should do, is to help people in our lives remember who God really is, who they are and who everybody else is. And it's all good. 
Now, this is not something to shame anybody with, to condemn anybody if they're not doing it, or to put a guilt trip on anybody or say, you got to do this to please God or whatever. No, this is something that we have the opportunity to partner with God as God's companions to do that helps us play a good part in his story. I want to go back to a few things uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, 2, and 3, just some brief highlights before we get into what we're talking about. Paul prays this for us and for everybody in Ephesians 1, 17 to 20. He says, I pray that the Father of glory, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, that's very different than the God anybody ever thought they knew prior to this time. He says, I pray that the Father of glory, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, that God who Jesus revealed to us, would impart to you the riches of the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation to know him through your deepening intimacy with him. See, God continually imparts, reveals more and more to us as we get to know him better and better through our deepening intimacy with him. I'm not talking about head knowledge or Bible knowledge or answers to a test that recite or knowing knowing doctrine or dogma or creeds or anything like that. No, I'm talking about pure divine revelation that comes through a relationship of deep intimacy with each one of us and the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, with them speaking to us personally, individually. So my goal for myself and to you all in my teaching is to help us all see everything. What we read in the Bible, what we hear from teachers, reading books, I want to help you and myself see everything through that lens of perfect love and then to hear from God yourself, expecting to hear perfect love, not expecting to hear condemnation or shame or anything like that. Now, I'm going to share with you, as I always do, what Papa love, Jesus love, and the Holy Spirit love are showing me. But again, that's not to convince you of what I believe. It's simply to help you see through this lens of perfect love and see anything that's counterfeit. So today, we're primarily going to take a look at the part in his story that teachers play. And as I mentioned earlier, I believe in this day and age, we are all teachers. We're teachers because we know something that's good for us and everybody, and we get to teach it or reveal it or show it to people who don't yet know, people who are in the play in his story but have forgotten what they knew before they came. Back to Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1. He says, I pray that the light of God will illuminate the eyes of your imagination, flooding you with light until you experience the full revelation of the hope of his calling. That is the wealth of God's glorious inheritance that he finds in all of us, his holy ones. What is his calling? It's not something we have to try to figure out. We experience it, and it's already in us. His calling for us is to be loved and to love and to teach people about love. I pray that uh, Paul goes on to say, I pray that you will continually experience the immeasurable greatness of God's power, God's power to love, God's power to teach, made available to you through faith. Then your lives will be an advertisement of this immense power as it works through you. 
This is sort of a little mini course today on Advertising 101. What does the advertisement look like? It looks like the divine power of love in action. And we're going to look at one specific thing today. Paul says, this is the mighty power that was released when God raised Christ from the dead and exalted him to the place of highest honor and supreme authority in the heavenly realm. You and I can continually, 24-7, experience that immeasurable power, the power of love, the very same power that spoke everything into existence, that keeps everything going, and the very power that raised Jesus from the dead. Philippians 3.10, this is the classic amplified version. Paul says, my determined purpose is that I may know Jesus, that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly, and that I may in that same way come to know the power outflowing from his resurrection. That power that raised Jesus from the dead and outflows from his resurrection is the power of love. He says, I want to progressively know Jesus better and better. See, revelation is progressive. We hear more and more from God about how good God is, always has been, how good we are and always have been, and the same with everybody else. We never hear anything negative. This is huge. The continual progressive revelation of God always shows how God is better than we even thought the day before. It's never the opposite. You never hear, oh, I'm bummed now, and if you don't do this, I'm going to punish you, and I, I want to convict you of this awful thing that you did that you maybe didn't even know you did. I love you now, but watch out. Those are all man-made constructs of religion that are not true. <laughs> there is no condemnation in Christ, Scripture says. What you and I must know and what we must help other people know is whenever they think of God, whenever we think of God, whenever we read Scripture, hear a message, read a Christian book, talk to somebody else who's a Christian or not, what we see and hear should always be about God's perfect, unconditional, never-ending love for us and for everyone. So anything we hear that's not that way is counterfeit, and then we get to teach the truth. We got not heavy-handedly, not Bible bashing, not uh, quoting, just throwing out verses of people that bash them. No, we got to remember as we read Scripture, as we hear messages, as we help others, whenever we see something or anything that indicates God is anything less than perfect, unconditional, never-ending love for everybody, something's wrong. Something's counterfeit. Now, it could be that what we read or hear in Scripture, it could be that it wasn't originally written to us or anybody else today. See, everything in the Old Covenant, we typically call the Old Testament the Old Covenant, but it actually goes through the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The Old Covenant, the Old Covenant of the law, the law of works, the law of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, doesn't end until Jesus died with his finished work at the cross. And then the new covenant is inaugurated. And the new covenant starts then. So anything that's written up until when Jesus died was written to the Jewish people, wasn't written to us. We can learn from it, primarily the tragic results of forgetting who God is and not knowing who God is and living like that. But so that could be a reason we're hearing something that is 
not copacetic with God's pure, unconditional love and grace for all. It could be that the writer of whatever we're reading or the teacher didn't know God intimately, and they were unintentionally misrepresenting God's true nature. Jesus said when he was here, Matthew eleven twenty seven, he says, not a single one of you knows the Father. Not a single one had ever known the Father until Jesus came. Could be that what we read in the Bible or hear in a message is symbolic. It's an allegory, not to be taken literally. In Bible times, they were greatly influenced and used mythology and allegory. And some of the primary writing and teaching tools they used were hyperbole and exaggeration and poetry. Could be that what we're reading, especially in Scripture, is not a good, true translation of the original. And it could be, unfortunately, somebody along the way, and this has happened many times, with a bias, with an agenda, has added or deleted or misrepresented something about God's nature and character and mankind's true nature and character. I'll give you just a slight example of that. In Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it says, There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we learned the previous seven chapters that we're all in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, unfortunately, the old King James says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who are walking after the Spirit, which that phrase was just added out of nowhere. And most editions that you get of the old King James, there's some way to indicate that a footnote or italics or something that that scripture was added. It's not in the original text. And it changed the meaning and title. That version says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus if you're following after the Spirit or walking in the Spirit, whatever you think that means. But if you're not doing that, there's condemnation. See, that was totally added by translators with a bias, with an agenda. And that's one small example. Now, fortunately, we now know that the primary way that we interpret what we read and what we hear is the filter of perfect, unconditional, everlasting love as we personally hear the living Word of God, the Holy Spirit of Christ in us, our teacher, who reveals more and more and more of Jesus' nature to us every day, the nature of perfect love. Paul wrote this after Jesus taught him what no one else knew. Colossians 1.27, he says, This is the mystery of the ages. Christ is in you, in all the Gentiles, all the non-Jews, in existence. Christ is in you, the hope of glory, and Christ will live as you. Wow. That's God's calling for you and everyone else. Christ living as you. Now, today I was going to teach the whole passage of Ephesians 4, 8 to 15, but as I got right down to giving this message, the Holy Spirit talked to me and said, no, I want you just to talk about one part of it. So here it is. Verse 11, Ephesians 4, 11. Jesus has appointed some people with grace to be apostles and some with grace to be prophets and some with grace to be evangelists and some with grace to be pastors and some with grace to be teachers. Now, what do these people all do? You're one of those people. What do we do? 
Another version of that, the mirror version, says what God has in us is gift-wrapped to the world. Some are commissioned to pioneer. Others are gifted prophetically. Some are announcers of the good news. Some are shepherds with a real gift to care and nurture. And others have a gift to ignite instruction through revelation knowledge. And he calls those couriers, communicators, counselors, and coaches. Goes on to say in verse 12, and their calling is to nurture and prepare all the holy believers to do their own works of ministry. And as they do this, they will enlarge and build up the body of Christ. What is your work or my work in ministry to play our part in this specific day and age? Goes on to say in the mirror, each expression of this gift is to fully equip and enable the saints for the work of the ministry so they may mutually contribute to their specific function to give definition to the visible body of Christ, Christ in us. These are all gifts from Jesus, who has all five of them in spades. Now, you could have other gifts of the Spirit, and we all do, of leadership or encouragement or administration or teaching or giving or serving or whatever, and help in lots of different ways, as many of us have for years in different aspects of our life in ministry, particularly involved in a local church. So Jesus has given as a grace gift these five things that Jesus was all of these, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And we're going to focus on teachers today, and you, whether you ever thought of it or not, you're a teacher. Now, here's what the people do with these five gifts. Everybody has at least some measure of one of these five gifts. Some of us have a smidgen of two or three. Some people have actually have all five gifts. The apostle, sometimes these are called the five-fold gifts of ministry or the hand gifts, just so we can remember five things. The apostle is like the thumb. That's the only one who can do all five of these and knows when he or she is the one who needs to be doing whichever one at the time or all of them at the same time. The apostle usually establishes a ministry. When somebody does that, they're the one that puts it all together. They get the vision for it. They put it together. They bring it about, get the structure for it, for everything. They recruit people. They do the teaching and the serving and everything. They like to bring order to something to make it work and to have each part defined and organized and functioning well. Now, apostle at any given time can act as a prophet, evangelist, pastor, or teacher. All right. The apostle's the only one that does all five of those. And generally, they do that by starting a church or a ministry. The prophet is the pointer finger, pointing at the big picture, seeing which ministry needs to be established to begin with. The prophet's not as organized, and the two can sometimes be at odds with each other, an apostle and, and a prophet, just because they see things differently. All right. The middle finger, the evangelist, is the longest outreach right into the middle of everything. The evangelist is the recruiter. The pastor is the ring finger because the ring signifies covenant. The pastor really gets involved in people's lives and loves them and comforts them and counsels them and encourages them and holds the group together. And then the pinky finger or little finger is the teacher. And the teacher's goal is to help everybody come to the knowledge in this passage of Ephesians of the fullness of Christ, who God is, 
who they are and who everyone else is. Now, here's why that's so important to us today. The vast majority of people, maybe even especially religious people, have forgotten who we were before we came to earth. Forgotten. Don't know. Never been told. God's in a continual process of helping people understand that. But virtually everybody has forgotten that. And so how do they learn? Well, God reveals that to us all. He does that in many different ways. We all know that he speaks to us personally. And he can speak to us through music or art or literature or nature, uh, all kinds of different things. And he can speak directly to us, usually not in an audible voice, a voice we hear in our gut or in our head or in our spirit, although sometimes with an audible voice. Don't beat yourself up if you've never heard God's audible voice. Most people haven't. He speaks to us, and what he speaks is only and always good. We all have the gift today of speaking to and teaching other people who God is and always has been, who we are and always have been, loved by God, included by God, accepted by God, and who they are. I believe today, in just such a time as this, where we are right now, a huge part of our gift and calling. Now, we may do, well, we will do other things in our life. We might be doctors or lawyers or accountants or musicians or actors, or, or we might be school teachers. We might be work in a store. Uh, we might be carpenters. Whatever it is we are, we, yeah, we have those things. Those are professions, even a profession of being a minister or something. Those are all professions. But what we actually do what we can do, and I believe what God's calling us all to do today, is to be teachers. Because so many people need to be taught. I was at a funeral recently, a dear, wonderful woman who died at 103 years old, real close to 104. And uh, she had several kids and 82 grandkids, great-grandkids, and great great grandkids, all total. All of her adult life, she'd been involved in church in various different ways. She was a saint. I mean, she was just a delightful, wonderful woman who loved to serve and seemed to have a good attitude all the time. I knew her very well. She was my aunt, my mother's only sibling. She died, and in her last days, she'd grown very fearful, afraid of dying because she'd got into her mind that God couldn't possibly love her for some bad things she thought she had done in her life, that there was no way God could overcome that, his love could overcome that. And she she was afraid. My wife and I visited with her with one of my cousins just a couple of weeks before she died. And she said, ah, God just can't love me. I'm so bad. I'm such a bad person. And of course, we assured her that that wasn't true. And, and I believe for a little while during that time we were with her that she realized and remembered the truth of that. But I understand that, you know, like the next day she, she had those fears again. It had been 
ingrained in her all of her life that God was a God of wrath, that there was going to be a judgment day, that there might be some sin that she'd never asked for forgiveness for, or she might have done the unforgivable sin that God was going to get her for, no matter how good she'd been. And she had been taught that God was a God of wrath, eternal retribution, punishment unbelievable, awful punishment. And she was afraid, really afraid of that. Now, I suppose many people who don't know God's love get that feeling when they know that their days are literally numbered. (laughs) There's just a few left. But I also know that many people live their entire life with that fear, especially religious people who've been taught over and over, every Sunday, that they are going to be and deserve to be victims of God's wrath. Those are all lies. They're counterfeit. They are man-made concepts perpetuated by religion. The people who perpetuate those lies are not bad people. They just don't remember who we all were before we came here and where we're all going back together. They don't know that God is in all of us and lives as us and through us. They just don't know. When Jesus was being crucified and teach and being treated in the most awful way anybody could ever treat anybody, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Well, if somebody doesn't know, how are they going to learn? teachers. The teacher, the Holy Spirit of Christ, lives in them and teaches them, and he partners with us, his companions, to teach them. And again, this doesn't take a degree. This doesn't take, it doesn't even take any training. It does take the personal knowledge and the personal experience, which always trumps head learning, It does take the personal knowledge and personal experience of what you know to be true that you can then tell other people, teach other people. What Jesus did when he was here on earth, he taught by both action and deed and by words. When you look at Jesus' life, he didn't judge people. He didn't condemn people. He didn't shame people. He didn't chastise people. The only people he got on were the religious people who were teaching things that were false about his father and our father. He revealed truth. He taught us the truth about God the Father of him, of Jesus, who is the father of everybody. Jesus taught and lived no judgment, no condemnation, no shame, no chastising, all love, all grace, all inclusion. And he's never changed. Unfortunately, one of the greatest lies of religion, and there are many, is that, well, yes, he was like that here on earth, but he's going to come back, and he's going to be mad as hell, and he's going to slay everybody. He's going to come on this white horse that with the blood in the streets up to the thighs of the horse because he's, Jesus is so mad and so angry, he's going to kill everybody. Does that sound like the Jesus that you know? Like, well, I hope not. I hope you don't know that false caricature caricature of Jesus. So 
you can see how important this is, I think. It's important for us, for how we live right now, and it's so important for everybody else. It doesn't affect their eternal destiny, going back to where we all came from and seeing God face-to-face and being known as we've always been known. But it sure as heck affects how we live now. (laughs) So much more I could say about this, but I've gone over time already. So I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to take what you've heard today and meditate on it, pray about it, be still, ask God who lives in you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, ask them to show you if what I've been telling you is true, and ask them to show you people that need to hear the truth and literally ask them to teach as you. And then you just relax and the pressure's off and they will show you opportunities. They will tell you what to say, show you what to do. And when you see people come to know the truth of who God is and who they are and who everybody else is, oh man, there's nothing greater ever for that other person or for you. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'll see you next time on Grace to All with Paul Gray. Thank you for listening to Grace to All. For more about us, how we can serve you, and our special guest, please visit www.gracewithpaulgray.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and to join our Facebook group, Grace to All, where you'll be inspired and awakened to more truth that you can handle.